Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. And they are here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. Have you had a leaky roof? We did, and it was a nightmare. But through Angie, we found an amazing roofer who specialized in flat roofs, and he fixed it right and quickly. Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. Get started at Angie.com, that's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The app and website are both free to use. That's Angie.com. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman is here with you. I am here with you. And uh, it's Election Day. Now, everybody is focusing on Virginia as the, as the main national race, kind of meta for the whole Republican-Democratic wars and, and uh, you know, whatnot, electoral wars. And, you know, it's a big deal, the Virginia race, because Ed Gillespie started out as just your generic corporate Democrat. He's been a lobbyist. He's been, you know, a big shot in the RNC. He's about as inside as you can get. And he is running as an outsider. He's, he's, he's changed in the last couple of, in the last month or so, completely changed his, his uh, shtick. And he's basically running as Donald Trump. He's, he's talking about how, how, uh, uh, Northam has, has uh, uh, you know, a black lieutenant governor, and why is he not putting him in the ads like all of a sudden Republicans are concerned about black people? And, and, uh, but, but it's just, you know, that's they're, actually they are concerned. This is simply the Republican way of saying, hey, have you noticed there's a black guy on the ticket with him? You sure you want to vote for that? That's, that's really the subtext of the ads. And, and I mean, it's just insane. But anyhow, everybody's talking about that. Um, my endorsement is in the Detroit race. And this is, uh, yes, there's an election in Detroit today. And Garland Gilchrist uh, II, who is a a friend of mine, uh, is running for city clerk, which is a big deal. And I, you know, if if you're in the Detroit area, this is my endorsement. Garland Gilchrist, he's brilliant. Syria has signed the Paris Agreement. Now, you know, okay, Syria is in the middle of a war, a civil war at that. They've got all these, you know, all these problems, and yet they had the time to say, yeah, we're with you on the Paris Agreement. Nicaragua had, 
had avoided signing it, but they were not signing it because they felt it didn't go far enough. It didn't have, you know, strong enough sanctions in it and things like that. Well, it's got no sanctions. It's entirely voluntary. And uh, that was Nicaragua's problem. They decided to go ahead and sign off on it anyway, just by way of saying, we're, please don't misunderstand. We're not with Donald Trump in this. So there is now one country in the world out of the, what is it? I've gotten various numbers at various times, 192 countries in the world, 204 countries in the world. Anyhow, roughly 200 countries in the world. There is one that says that they're not going to participate in the Paris Agreement because they think the science is, is uh, wrong, and that is the United States. We are, we are being run by an administration who, for in order purely and simply to protect the profits of the fossil fuel industry, is denying science. This is nuts. I mean, this is, this is like... Uh, you know, it's like the Republican Party denying that there's, that there's diseases because they're being spiffed by some industry that's producing the disease. Oh, that's right. They did that back in 2000 when Mike Pence, when his family owned a chain of, it was called Tobacco Road, a chain of convenience stores in Indiana that principally sold tobacco. Mike Pence in 2000 wrote an op-ed saying tobacco doesn't cause cancer. So we've been here before. And now they're doing the same thing with guns. And you got Trump coming out saying, oh, you know, if there hadn't been a good guy with a gun, the bad guy with a gun would have killed a lot more people. Lie. The bad guy with a gun left the church because he had emptied all the magazines he brought. He had shot every bullet he had. That's why he left. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a noble thing that a couple of neighbors came to the rescue of the people in the church. It's a shame they didn't get there while the shooting was going on, or maybe not. Because one of the things we know is that, well, for example, when Gabby Giffords was shot, there were two people in the crowd who were carrying concealed weapons with a, with a legal permit. Neither one of them could get a shot at the shooter. And both of them, if they had just tried shooting wildly, probably would have killed more people. But it wasn't a good guy with a gun who stopped this. It was running out of ammunition. And we're doing everything we can to make sure that in the future, future mass killers never run out of ammunition. I mean, this guy only had 30 round clips or magazines. He could have had 100, 100 round magazines. Yeah, they're on the market. And in today's New York Times, there is an absolutely brilliant piece about how There is an absolute, linear, measurable, predictable relationship between the number of guns in circulation and the number of mass shootings. It's that simple. But Trump, he's going off on the, oh, we've got a mental health problem here. Now, let me remind you, this is the headline from NBC News, February 28th, 2017, as reprinted today on the, on the top graphic up at the top of Democratic Underground, Trump signs bill revoking Obama-era gun checks for people with mental illness. So in February of this year, Donald Trump repealed President Obama's executive order that people who are mentally ill be included in the list of people who can't buy guns. People who are so mentally ill that they are eligible for Social Security disability insurance which is a pretty high bar. 
So here's what Donald Trump had to say about this. The United States. But I wonder if you would consider extreme vetting for people trying to buy a gun. Trying to what? Buy a gun. Well, you know, you're bringing up a situation that probably shouldn't be discussed too much right now. We could let uh -huh. a little time go by, but it's okay if you feel that that's an appropriate question, even though we're the heart of South Korea. I will certainly answer your question. Uh, if you did what you're suggesting, there would have been no difference three days ago. And you might not have had that very brave person who happened to have a gun or a rifle in his truck go out and shoot him and hit him and neutralize him. And I can only say this, if he didn't have a gun, instead of having 26 dead, he would have had hundreds more dead. No, no, so that's a lie. the way I feel about it. Yeah. And are you not going to help? And are you considering any kind of gun control policy going forward? When you forward look at because the, the city with the strongest gun laws in our nation is Chicago. Mm -hmm. And Chicago is a disaster. It's a total disaster. Just remember, if this man didn't have a gun or a rifle, you'd be talking about a much worse situation. So not true. In the great state of number Texas. Number one. Thank and number you. two, Chicago has a problem with gun violence because Indiana, which is right on the edge of Chicago, Indiana sells guns to anybody. You know, it's just like, you know, Mike, Mike Pence made sure that was the case. So first he says, no problem selling guns to mentally ill people. Then he says, oh, gee, we've got a mass shooting here. It's a mental illness problem. But he's opposed to extreme vetting. Ted Lieu, a congressman from uh, California, said, screw it. I'm out of here. They were doing a moment of silence in the House of Representatives yesterday. This is what the Republicans want when there's a mass shooting. They want silence. They want everybody to shut up. Don't discuss the fact that America having more guns means that America is going to have more mass shootings. It's just that simple. And it's not, it's, you know, we don't, this, uh, this is an absolutely brilliant piece by Max Fisher and Josh Keller in today's New York Times. Um, why do we have so many mass shootings? And the, the usual suspects, but, you know, as posed by the Republican Party are that we're unusually violent, that we have racial divisions, uh, Chicago is code for that, or that we lack mental health care. None of those things are true relative to other countries. Other countries that don't have the gun violence problem that we have have the same racial divisions, have the same violence level, and have, in many cases, the same mental health care. So what makes us different? The number of guns we have. This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's absolutely solid. 4.4% of the global population is us, but we have 42% of the world's guns. Everybody's talking about superfoods, those nutritionally dense foods that are especially beneficial to your health. Did you know that one of the most powerful superfoods you can put into your body is beets? They're loaded with an important nutrient that increases your blood flow, which increases your energy. But who wants to eat a pile of beets every day? Not me. But now you can get the energy benefits of beets in a powerful, concentrated superfood drink, Superbeets. Only Superbeets is made from beets grown to exacting standards, then concentrated into superfood crystals. Superbeets promotes the body's own natural ability to produce healthier circulation for increased energy and stamina all day long. 
So if you want the benefits of a powerful superfood, call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeets.com. With your first order, get another 30-day supply of Superbeets for free, plus indicator strips to see how Superbeets is working for you, and free shipping. So call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeets.com today. That's 800-568-9889, tomsbeets.com on the interwebs. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you and Jerry in Woodbridge, Illinois. Hey, Jerry, what's on your mind today? Hi, I was, I was talking about um, how this is a free speech station, right? I can speak my mind, right? You may speak your mind, Jerry. And it will go on TV, right? You are, it's not going to you are, me out. You are live right now. Okay. Well, I couldn't believe a few minutes ago, I never thought about this, about the guns, about controlling the guns that a woman said that the Christians, why do they care about abortions because the baby is just going to go to heaven anyway? Hmm. I couldn't believe what that woman said. Oh, yeah. That's, that is that's so, the, so mean. Yeah, that's the logic of, of her argument, I suppose, is that... That is cool. That, that is, the doctors takes oath to save lives. Yeah, yeah. The military is there to save us. But yet I just he, keep hearing... Brad, talk about them. Yeah. I, I, and you then know, you talk about the only free country that we can have guns. What other countries are free like we are? Right, right. Well, I, I would say, Jerry, that there are... Jer Jerry, see. thank you for the call. I would say that there are a lot of countries that are more free than we are. And I, I just, you know, I, and I think it's really important to just lay that out, that this whole freedom thing that Republicans are always talking about... What they're talking about is the freedom of billionaire polluters to pollute, the freedom of billionaire banksters to rip us off, the freedom of, of, fossil fuel, of the fossil fuel industry to poison our planet, perhaps even leading to the death of our species. Those are the freedoms that they're talking about. Now, if you want to talk about freedom for actual you know, average people in the United States, you're not free if you're sick and you can't get health care or you can't afford to pay for it. You're not free. You're not free if you're working full time and you can't afford to even pay your damn rent. That's not freedom. That's a form of bondage. You're not free if... I mean, you, you, you're not free if you're constantly living in fear that somebody's going to pop up and shoot you. I mean, there's just like, there's so many dimensions of America where we are not free compared with the other developed countries in the world, where they don't have gun violence problems, where everybody does have national health care, where everybody does have a guaranteed pension retirement uh, program. And I think it's really important to note that. Patty in Sandusky, Ohio. Hey, Patty, what's on your mind today? Uh, two things. Uh, that I'd like to talk about. First, of course, the article that you brought up in the New York Times, I think it really needs to sink into people that we are second to Yemen. I mean, that's just a startling fact to me. Yeah. Um, the second thing is, I think if you look at what's going on now and you updated that data to include that in the last less than year and a half, we have had three domestic terrorist shootings. Okay, mm -hmm. and that data is not included. Right. Um, I look at when um, Congress allowed 
uh, Ronald Reagan's repeal on these guns, the AR-47, the the AK-47, the AR-15, and the large round clips. This is what is killing people. Okay, yes, Chicago has, you know, problems, but they don't have domestic terrorists there. So that, I think, is when the big problem comes in, because people don't have the ability to go in and shoot 500 people at a time, shoot, you know, 50 people like in this church at a time without those type of guns. Yep. Yeah, this guy went through over 400 bullets. Yeah, Ronald Reagan banned them. Uh, the Republican Congress and Senate allowed it to lapse, which I was stunned. Yeah, during the George W. Bush administration. And if it's not taken care of, people need to understand that eventually these type of incidents are going to come to your community. Yeah. They need to call their congressmen, their senators, and demand that this ban is reenacted. Yeah, this is why... I am a gun owner, I'm a Second Amendment person, but we do not need these guns. Well said, Patty. Well said. Thank you. Uh, and 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 spot on. I mean, this the well, Richard in Chicago. Hey, Richard, what's up? How are you doing, Tom? I'm also a gun owner. That I think is very reasonable in my worldview. I I think that the progressives have good points of view on certain things, and I think conservatives have good points of view on certain things. I wish you wouldn't call people gun nuts because um, I think I would qualify for that. If you uh, if you saw that I had. The guns that you don't like or want to want to limit. I don't own any AR-15s. I don't own any K-57. I don't see a 47. I don't see any reason to, to own those guns personally. Uh, they during the uh, assault weapons ban, people were allowed to own uh, AR rifles. They were allowed to own them all throughout that ban. What they did was they defanged them. They they turned them into modern sporting rifles. Right. They had to be single fire rifles for. You know that, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, if you if you allow me and you to sit down, and I'm 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 going to take you as a person that would probably ban guns if he could. No, I wouldn't. Um, okay. I mean, I I've, I you know I've talked about this many times, Richard. One one of my brothers is a is a, a sports shooting enthusiast, and has a has a range in his backyard, and whenever Louise and I go back to Michigan, we stay with this one of my three brothers. And, uh, you know, if we're there over the weekend, we're always in the backyard shooting. I have no problem with and the and the major downside of that, by the way, and and as a gun owner, you know, this is that when you're done shooting, your hands are covered with lead powder, which means that every time you go out shooting, you probably lose a half an IQ point. But that said, uh, no, I wouldn't want to ban them. I have respect for people who who use guns as for sporting purposes like my brother does. I have respect for people who use guns for hunting and I'm a vegetarian and have been since I was 17 years old. Um, I'm on my way to be a vegetarian. I'm on my way to being a vegetarian. So, so no, I don't think that guns should be banned. I think that we should have rational gun policies. I, you know, there are people who, you know, you've got, you know, ranchers and whatnot who actually need weapons. You have, uh, you know, people, uh, there's a, a lot of people in, in particular jobs where concealed carry is a reasonable thing. There are people who live in areas where they feel that they need a gun to defend themselves. I'm not opposed to guns. I'm opposed to stupid gun policies. We are four and a half percent of the world's population. We have 44 percent of the world's guns. That's nuts, Richard. That's nuts. What wouldn't that lead you to believe that Americans want to own guns? No. And to try and to try and to to use rhetoric that you're going to take them away from. from I never said take them away, Richard. You did. 
And, and, you know, I get this, you know, trying to portray Democrats or progressives as anti-gun or want to ban guns or anything. I get that that's the, the, the main primary talking point that the NRA and their shills put out whenever they go on the air, whenever they have an opportunity. Oh, you guys just want to ban guns. Uh, and, and very often in a concerned troll fashion, you know, hey, I identify with your concerns, but I'm, I'm concerned that by trying to ban guns, you're really hurting yourself. That's BS, Richard. The reality is that most Americans don't want to own a lot of guns. There are many Americans who own one gun or two or three guns, but people who are owning 40, 50, 60, 100 guns, that's a very, very small percentage of Americans. The percentage of Americans who feel that their manhood is not complete if they don't have a very large weapon with a very large magazine, that's a very, very small percentage of people. But the power of the gun industry to buy legislators now that the Supreme Court has said that it is okay for an industry to own individual politicians. The power of the, of the weapons industry through the NRA to own it, you know, the, the, well, here, Ted Cruz, they gave him 360,000 bucks. Marco Rubio got $176,000. This is just, you know, top 20 recipients of the gun lobby from last year. Marco Rubio, 176,000. Paul Ryan, 171,000. Ron Johnson, 164,000. Rand Paul, 155,000. Uh, Pat Toomey, 79,000. Ryan Zinke, 79,000. I mean, it just, it, the, the list goes on and on. By the way, they're all Republicans, the top 20 recipients of, of gun money. Because the gun industry, just like the fossil fuel industry, is a corrupt industry. The weapons industry in the United States is making money off Americans killing each other. And they want to make sure that anytime somebody like me tries to have a conversation with people like you about, you know, gee, maybe we should reconsider how we deal with guns in the United States. And you, uh, you know, Richard apparently doesn't know my position. I'm guessing he's not a regular listener to the show. Uh, you know, maybe, who knows? I mean, maybe the NRA said, hey, you know, to one of their chief lobbyists, hey, call into this show and make these points. Uh, I'm over it. My position has been, and it has been for decades, and I continue to hold this position, that we should be as rational about guns as we are about cars. Cars can kill people, and in the 19-teens, we put laws into place when cars started killing people to minimize that, the, the probability of that happening. Number one, if you own a car, it's got to be registered. It's from the time of manufacture until the time of destruction. There's a, ch a clear chain of ownership. Number two, if you're going to use a car, you have to demonstrate you know how to use it safely. There's a driver's test. And number three, if you own a car and you're going to drive a car, you have to have liability insurance. I, it, those three things should be applied to gun owners. Very simple, very straightforward. And then let the insurance market take care of this. If some, some guy, you know, wants to buy, you know, five AR-15s and, and, and a thousand rounds of ammunition, let his insurance company decide if he's going to be a risk. Suddenly his insurance policy, just like with drunk drivers, you know, his insurance policy, you know, your liability policy on your car, you get a drunk driving conviction, your, your price is going to go from $200 a year to $2,000 or whatever. I mean, I've never had a drunk driving conviction. I don't know this from personal experience, but my understanding is that it, it, it explodes the price. I mean, it just makes sense, right? So there you've got an actual marketplace that is actually having some impact on the, you know, on what's going on here. We'll be right back. And welcome back, Paul in Benton, Pennsylvania, watching Free Speech on the Dish Network. Hey, Paul, what's up? Yeah, how you doing, Tom? Good. Um, you know, I used to belong to a couple sportsmen's organizations, and 
you know, I, I, I don't bother belonging to them anymore because one thing I found out is they're, um, you know, they're, they're like these little right-wing enclaves. Uh, all these people are basically, you know, gun fetishists. And here in Pennsylvania, uh, they even tried to get uh, these uh, semi-automatic um, rifles uh, okayed for deer hunting, and the game commission held a hearing on it. And luckily, the game commissioners voted it down. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't see uh, a lot of a lot of distinction between uh, you know just regular people owning you know having these guns and a lot of these sportsmen because that's why they join these uh, a lot of these groups because it's you know it puts them in touch with like-minded uh, you know people and their uh, and their guns. Yeah. There are three industries that are doing this. Um... Uh, Paul, the, you've got the tobacco industry, which back, they're not doing it so much right now, but back 15, 20, 25 years ago, before they got taken down in that giant epic lawsuit, uh, the tobacco industry was funding groups around America, proud smokers. Uh, they, 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 they actually started a group in the, in the mid eighties during the Reagan administration called the Tea Party. And it was, we're, we're mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore. We're sick and tired of you trying to regulate where we can smoke and when we can smoke. And we are the Tea Party. And that's where the Tea Party started. It was started by a division of the, of the tobacco lobbying uh, you know, trade group. So the tobacco industry is doing this. The fossil fuel industry is doing this. And, and you know, yeah, we're, we're tough guys. We're fighting back. In the fossil fuel industry, it's like promoting the macho idea of big trucks and other vehicles that consume enormous amounts of petrol, of, of gasoline and diesel fuel. In the, in the tobacco industry, you've got the, the uh, tobacco companies, you know, uh, sponsoring this we're fighting back Tea Party thing. And now with the gun side, you've got the NRA. I was a member of the NRA up until 2008. And uh, in, in that election, I was so sickened by the NRA's political involvement that I, I ended my membership. Um, but yeah, I get what you're saying, Paul. It's, it's, and, and it's not just that there's like some kind of weird fetish going on. It's like it's being encouraged by industry. And that's the yeah. thing that should be so concerning to us is that we've, we've become patsies. You know, in the, in, the, in the case of fossil fuel, tobacco, and now guns, we become patsies to industry. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's too bad. And, you know, another thing we're not addressing is uh, uh, the ammunition. Right. I mean, some of these, you know, you could go out and buy, like, bulk ammo, 1,000 rounds of uh, 223 caliber ammo for, like, you know, basically, you know, pennies a round. Right. And... And, I mean, the idea that people are stockpiling. Yeah, and to, ex- to extend the car analogy, Paul, you can't, you can't put a 1,000-gallon gasoline tank in your backyard. It's illegal. Yeah. So, so, you know, because it could blow up and take out your house and your neighbor's houses. Why, then, can you have thousands of rounds of ammunition in your home without notifying anybody, without letting the police know, without letting, you know, the local whoever handles toxic waste or fires, at least the fire department should know, right? Uh, you know, it, this, again, this is the power of the, of, the, of the weapons industry. Paul, thank you for the call. We'll be right back. You know, this is, we're, we're just watching a repeat of an old story we've seen over and over again. Uh, I remember I was a kid. 
I think I was a teenager, must have been during the 60s, that the guy who used to play Perry Mason's adversary on TV, he, uh, he played, well, it's been a lot of years. He played the district attorney, basically, you know, in the Perry Mason shows. And he died of lung cancer. And he was a heavy smoker. And he produced a couple of television ads where he said, you know, I'm, I've got cancer and blah, de blah, and, you know, don't smoke. And the tobacco industry had all these people showing up on talk shows, you know, on Oprah Winfrey kind of shows. This was before Oprah. Well, maybe it was early day Oprah, but I, I doubt she had any of them on. But you get what I'm saying. The tobacco industry had all these people on the air saying, well, you know, maybe you got it from tobacco. Maybe you got it from something else. There's lots of things that can cause lung cancer. In other words, spread doubt. Our business is doubt. It's a phrase that came out of the tobacco litigation. So the tobacco industry does this. The fossil fuel industry is doing this as we speak about climate change. We are the only country in the world that continues to deny climate change. Literally the only one. Syria, as I noted at the beginning of the show, Syria has, has now signed on to the Paris Accord. We're it. Under the Trump administration and under Republican rule, Republican corporate rule, we have completely surrendered the extractive industries, the fossil fuel industries, Ryan Zinke wants to give them free access to Yellowstone and everything else. So you've got that. You've, the fossil fuel industry is getting what they want. We, we are under their thumb. The tobacco industry is still largely getting what they want. None of their executives have gone to jail for lying to Congress, even though they did so under oath. Tobacco industry, you know, it's billionaires, multimillionaires and billionaires. And and now, of course, the weapons industry. And what does the weapons industry do? They're doing the same thing the tobacco industry did. Make people identify with your product. It's the first imperative. The same thing the fossil fuel industry does. Hey, let's sponsor NASCAR. Let's promote, you know, big trucks, right? Big guy, you're a tough guy, yeah. And so your, self, your sense of self-worth, your sense of identity, is tied up with how rapidly you consume fossil fuels. I got a Dodge Ram. Or how much you smoke. I don't smoke those sissy cigarettes like Marlboro's. Give me a Camel or a Pell-Mell. Or how many weapons you have. I don't need no little, you know, P-38, uh, Walther P-38. Yeah, give, me, give me a real weapon. Give me an AR-15. No modified little imitation penis for me. I've got the big thing here, the AR-15 version, right? That's, this is, this is what these three industries are selling to us. This is what the Republican party sells to us because they are the party for sale to industry. And these are the lies and the, and the, the weird non sequitur arguments that we are forced to live within. John in Chicago. Hey, John, what's on your mind? Hey, uh, Tom, thanks for taking the call. I just wanted to comment to the first people that were shot, that the gunman in Texas shot, were uh, the two people standing outside that I presume were guards, and they probably had pistols on them, a concealed carry type of thing. Uh, no, John, they weren't. They, they were just, they you know, no. If, you, if, if When you go to church, it's real. In fact, every time I've ever gone to church in my life, is, as I recall, which you know, hasn't been a whole lot in the last few years, but, but was a lot Reader. for many years. There's always somebody who stands at the door to greet new people. 
Well, I know my uncle's uh, is a guard at the outside of his local church. And, really? Uh, he carries a gun? Yeah, I, it's an usher. He's an usher. He welcomes people with brochures, but he also has a little bit of heat with him. You know, he could huh. But the point is, a gun, a gun, a pistol versus a rifle is who's going to win that thing? Right. The velocity. You know, if it disemboweled, if you get hit, you get disemboweled by right. And the, the and the two guys who chased this this killer, the two guys who chased him, who are being characterized as heroes. If he hadn't shot every bullet he had, those two guys would probably be dead right now because they tried going after a guy with, sem- with semi-automatic weapons with hunting rifles. And, you know, it's just that's not a fair fight. Um, good point, John. Good point. Excellent point. Thank you. Steve in Phoenix. Hey, Steve, what's up? Yes, Tom. I totally endorse your common sense ideas for uh, gun control and insurance and such and registration. Any one of us could be uh, the next one, and I- I'm concerned. Um, you know, I, I, I don't own a gun. I haven't shot one for 45 to 50 years uh, in time here. Um, you know, however, with all the uh, shootings going on and such, and the NRA, you know, they've been uh, advocating for pistols, rifles. They seem to be okay with the assault weapons and stuff. You know, I wonder if it's going to come to the point here where they uh, start saying, well, you know, uh, let people get tanks and stuff, you know, because maybe the only good... The only way to stop a bad guy with a tank is a good guy with a tank. Well, and tanks fall into the, into the definition of arms, depending on whose dictionary you're consulting. But basically, you know, uh, the, arguably the Second Amendment protects your right to, uh, you know, if, if you buy the argument that's made by the Alex Jones crowd, that the Second Amendment was written so that if the government ever became oppressive, average citizens could take down the government, which, by the way, is not the case. No founder ever, ever floated that argument. It will not be found, and I've read them, it will not be found in the Federalist Paper, it will not be found, and I've read them in the deliberations at the Constitutional Convention in 1787, it will not be found, and I've read them in the debates in the states when, in 1789 when they were ratifying the Constitution. Nobody ever made that argument. But if you accept that argument, and there's a lot of Republicans that do, then you have to say, well, in that case, then the founders meant, if we're going to take down a, an oppressive government, that we have the right to own an F-35. We have the right to, to, to build an Air Force base in our backyard. We have the right to own tanks. We have the right to own surface-to-air missiles. I mean, yeah. Steve? It's, it's, totally, it's totally out of control. Yeah. And, and, you know, that being said, you know, um, in this day and age, the NRA um, in 2017, is it, is it even relevant? Is it needed? No, is it's it, a lobbying organization. It's like Grover Norquist. He's the lobbyist... For billionaires, he's a multimillionaire K Street lobbyist, and 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 but he's the expert on taxes, right? I mean, I guess that's the fourth industry that is scamming us: is the rich people hiding their money industry, uh, which you know brings us to the uh, the Paradise Papers, which I haven't even gotten to ranting about today. Steve, thanks for the call, um, because there's so much else. In fact, we're going to debate gun control right after the uh, right after the break, and then and then I want to get into the Paradise Papers. This is an amazing story. Stick around. When was the last time you looked forward to sitting at your desk all day? Since getting my new X chair, not only am I enjoying the time spent in my desk much more than ever, but I can't believe how much more productive I'm being. My X chair is unbelievably stylish, and thanks to all the ways that you can personalize it, it literally molds itself to my body. Trust me, this is not your grandfather's office chair. And because I don't need to keep having to take breaks or to stretch my back, I'm getting more done in a day than ever before. If you spend a lot of time in your office chair every day, then you need to try the X chair. 
fact, here's a terrific deal just for my listeners. The makers of X-Chair want you to feel the X-Chair difference for yourself. So if you go to xchairtom.com, that's the letter X, chair, T-H-O-M.com, not only will they knock $100 off the price, but they'll even throw in a free footrest if you use the promo code Tom. Just go to xchairtom.com now. I love my X-Chair, and you will too. So check out xchairtom. That's xchairtom.com. Check out xchairtom.com, and be sure to use T-H-O-M as the promo code for your $100 discount. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you on the line with us, Dr. Dennis Durrell. He is a, uh, a physician, national medical director of acute services for IPC Healthcare. Uh, his website, Dennis Durrell, D U R, excuse me, D E R U E L L E M D.com, Dennis Durrell.com, uh, MD.com. Uh, Dr. Durrell, welcome to the program. Thank you, Tom. Good to be here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, do I understand correctly that you agree with Donald Trump that this is a this shooting in in Texas was a mental health problem and that it's too early for us to discuss the role of guns in our society well no I wouldn't I think it's always appropriate to discuss the role of guns uh, and restriction of guns however I do agree that this was a mental health issue uh, you know, this individual, again, reported through people that knew him, uh, was on medication for mental health from 6th grade to ninth grade, uh, referred to as over-medicated. And I think looking at his history, again, I have not examined him. I have not looked at his records. But looking at his history, uh, you know, he was showing signs of mental health issues all the way along his his life. And therefore... The idea so that what? we need, yeah. So what? Well, I think, you know, again, you know. He, there are mentally mental ill people issue. all over the world, Dennis. There are literally. I mean, from today's New York Times, if mental health made the difference, the data would show that Americans have more mental health problems than do people in other countries with fewer mass shootings. But the mental health care spending rate in the United States, the number of mental health professionals per capita, and the rate of severe mental disorders are all in line in the United States with those of all other wealthy countries. We are no different than the rest of the world in that regard. Well, However, that the major difference matter. between us and the rest of the world is that That's with 4.4% of the world's population, we have 44% of the world's guns. Right, but okay, so let's just So it's it's like Who it's like you're, you know what someone. what you're saying, you're you're laying out a mitigating factor, right? Mental illness. Let's say let's say the mitigating factor was drunkenness. Right. If if gun shops and bars, if all bars had to have a gun shop in them, do you think we might start having a lot of shootouts in, in bars? I think so, because people are temporarily mentally disabled by being drunk. It's got nothing to do with the gun problem, though, or the killing problem. No, it does, because look at the mass shooters. I mean, they have had red flags and that's what we have to put. We have to identify them. They, uh, many of them have had domestic violence and this one did, too. And when you pair mental health with domestic violence, that's a red flag. And physicians—that's a red flag for a lot of things, Dennis. That's that's a red flag for but, for child abuse, for spouse abuse, for for being course, dysfunctional in society. Why, why, this why is not why people are killing nobody's people. Nobody's assessing. No, no, no. Nobody's assessing this. 
What is their risk of hurting someone? I don't understand, Dennis, why as a physician you're carrying water for the National Rifle Association, a trade association for an an industry that manufactures products that only kill people, which is the opposite of your Hippocratic Oath. No, 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 no. I'm talking about mitigating. Yes, 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 yes. You're shilling for the NRA here, Dennis. No, no, no. I don't get it. I'm not. It has nothing to do with the NRA. We need to connect these databases. Okay, This, this individual fell through. This is a gun control issue. I'm for, quote-unquote, limiting guns for people like him. I think that's very important. Uh, But here's the point. We need to assess when someone's been in the system, that we know they have mental health issues, we know they have domestic violence issues, and we can't connect the dots to keep a gun out of their hand we have an issue. That's what I'm saying. You can characterize that as... Well, in that case, then uh, what are you suggesting? Uh, hooking up the database? I mean, it's so imperfect. Yeah. If he had chosen yeah. to buy that gun at a Texas gun show, which doesn't have to check the database, he'd still have the same sure. damn guns. I got it, but don't you, that doesn't mean we don't start limiting it where we can. And the fact why not, is that why not limit it everywhere? We have to start. Why not, start Dennis? Somewhere. Why not? Why not simply say, you know, when we when when cars, we you know, cars came along in the 1880s, 1890s, and they became a big thing in the 19 aughts and 19 teens. And somewhere between 1905 and 1915, we started putting into place rules about car ownership because cars were starting to kill people. They were going fast enough and they had enough mass. They were damaging people's bodies. And so we said, you've got to you've got to register the car when it's manufactured and you've got to maintain a constant chain of custody until it's destroyed. Number one. Number two, you have to demonstrate your ability to drive this car safely. You have a driver's test, both written and and, uh, you know, do the work. And number three, you have to have liability insurance, which is a marketplace intervention. So when people regularly get in car accidents or when people regularly get busted for drunk driving, their car insurance rates go from a few hundred dollars a year to to thousands, tens of thousands, or even impossible to get. So the marketplace restricts their access. These are common sense, rational things that don't impinge anybody's so-called right Right? You've got a right to drive a car, you've got a right to own a gun, but you've got a right to p- assemble together and petition your government for redress of grievance. But you can't exercise that right without a permit from the police department. I mean, it's, it's, so why not just do something very straightforward that just takes on this issue of all these guns? 40 per- 44% of the world's guns in the hands of 5% of the world's population? That's a, that's a prescription for disaster. Well, that may be true. But I'm zeroing in on mass shootings and things like this. And if you look at those people and the individuals, they fall into pretty much a small group. They do have red flags. We need to connect the databases on those. And I think that would be the best way to start to begin to mitigate that. You're addressing a bigger issue and a bigger problem, and I... I'm specifically focusing on focusing on this issue. I think we need to uh, address look- this bigger issue. We we have you, you, we've got a mass shooting every week in the United States. If you define a mass shooting as more than four people being killed, literally every sure. week, and we've got but be, be, but beyond but that, we've people. got you know thirty thousand Americans. You're as an American. You see what they have. <laughs> yeah, I mean this is this and is. We need to address that. This is, again, this is from today's New York Times. In America, crime is simply more lethal. A New Yorker is just as likely to be robbed. We're not talking mass shootings here. We're talking gun violence. A New Yorker is just okay. as likely to be robbed as a Londoner. In other words, the rates of, of robbery in London and, the, and New York City are identical. But a New Yorker is 54 times more likely to be killed in the process. That's a 5,400% increase in the probability that you will die 
simply because there's more guns available in the United States than there are in the United Kingdom. That is the core issue, is it not? Well, that's a different issue, and I think that is a problem. Well, maybe so we're talking about, maybe I misunderstood our discussion. I thought we were talking about, you know, gun, gun deaths in the United States and what to do about it. You want to exclusively talk about mental health? mass shootings, but, you know, in general, I, look, I'm in favor of rules that, that keep the automatic weapons, you know, I, I would limit them, so I'm going to be up front. I agree with that. Anything that limits access to that in general um, I think is an okay thing to do, and I think we do have too many guns. But I don't think the answer is necessarily uh, doing away with the Second Amendment. I think there are a lot of other things we can do in the meantime. But to me, mitigating these mass shootings has a lot to do with the red flags and picking it up and connecting the dots in our system. That's really where I, I'm focused. In a in, uh, 14-year period from 2000 to 2014, Switzerland had one mass shooting. They have the most guns per person of any country in Europe. Uh, they also had the, se the second most mass shootings. Finland has the second most guns in Europe. They had two mass shootings during that 14-year period. Um, to the best of my knowledge, no other European country had any. We had 133. The only thing, the, the difference in mental health rates between Switzerland, Finland, and the United States is unmeasurable. They're essentially the same. We have roughly identical rates of the percentage of people who work in the mental health field, the percentage of people who are diagnosed in the mental health field, the, the per percentage of people who are imprisoned as a result of, of acting out, uh, you know, mental, mental problems. Um, it's, oh, I'm, I'm hitting a break here. I'm sorry. Uh, anyhow, I, Dr. Dennis Durrell, it's been interesting talking with you. Uh, you, you can, his website, uh, DennisDurrellMD.com. And uh, you can tweet him at Dr. Durrell, D-R-D-E-R-U-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E. Dr. Durrell, thank you for dropping by. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate Good it. talking to you. We'll be back. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Meanwhile, the uh, New York City Board of Elections is admitting they purged 200,000 voters from the rolls just before the last election. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. The Paradise Papers. This is a huge story. And it's one that we, uh, frankly, in my opinion, need to be paying some serious attention to. Oh, Tom, oh, Tom Perez is with us. Let's, let's jump to that. Tom, Tom Perez is on the line. The chair of the Democratic National Committee, the DNC, the former U.S. Uh, Secretary of Labor, former uh, secretary. Uh, Democrats.org is the website. Tom, at Tom Perez is the Twitter handle. And uh, Secretary, welcome back to the program. Hey, great to be with you. Please call me Tom, and it's great to be with you and your listeners once again. Thank you, Tom. So uh, general chaos in the Democratic Party is how this, is, this whole uh, Donna Brazil thing is being characterized in the media. Uh, we also have this story today that uh, the, the uh, uh, election officials in New York City are pleading guilty to having knocked 200,000 people off the voting rolls. I remember back during the primaries, there were concerns that, that the, the rolls were being purged in, in heavily progressive parts of New York. I don't know if there's any connection between those two things. Um, what's going on inside the party and how much of this, well, uh, uh, you know, hand-wringing is just hyperbole that's being put out to, to 
characterize us poorly. Well, Tom, uh, I've, I've put 700 miles on my car over the weekend in Virginia. I've uh, stopped at, uh, oh, I, gosh, I can't even remember, 20, 25 different venues, and I never once was asked about Donna Brazil. Yeah. Uh, what I was asked about is how do we move forward and win Tuesday? We've had an unprecedented uh, uh, ground game in Virginia, unprecedented partnership, uh, remarkable unity. You remember there was a primary there, and people tried to write the story, oh, my God, it's going to be a, uh, another proxy battle. And uh, here's what turned out in the primary. You know, Tom Perriello and Ralph Northam ran a spirited campaign on the issues. It was a high-road campaign, and uh, when Tom didn't win, uh, he immediately pivoted to endorse uh, uh, Ralph, and, and that spirited campaign resulted in record turnout. Uh, now look at the run-up to the election today. Uh, twice as many, over a million door knocks during the course of the uh, uh, GOTV effort, twice as many as Terry McAuliffe four years ago. And Terry did a great job, more than uh, the Hillary campaign. Fairfax County this morning, uh, the concern there is that they're running out of ballots. That's a good concern. They're going to get more because uh, we've been able to turn record turnout. The, the, the focus for everybody I met this weekend was uh, how do we make sure that we don't have a Donald Trump clone in Virginia. How do we make sure we get access to health care? How do we make sure that people get a quality public education? How do we continue the economic development under Governor McAuliffe? And that's the same thing folks are hearing in New Jersey. They, they want movement forward. And my singular focus has been on building a Democratic Party that leads with our values, that is inclusive and uh, wins elections. And uh, I think we're poised to do well in a number of key races today. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said, and I think it's marvelous that, that you have, you know, done such a, you're doing a great job pulling this party back together. And, and uh, you know, broadly speaking, there's a lot to do, but, but um, I don't think we can be like Republicans in climate change and just not discuss this. Uh, you know, what, I, there are, this is a problem inside the Democratic Party right now, where you've got people who are, who are, uh, losing their enthusiasm because because they're concerned that the party is not necessarily always representing their interests. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm saying this in a very poor fashion, uh, Tom, but... No, I, um, hey, Tom, you know, I, get, I get your point. And we have... Uh, I'll be the first to admit that we have to earn the trust of uh, everybody. And I'll be, I'll be the first to admit that, uh, you know, the, the DNC didn't put its best foot forward in, in 2016. And because of that, um, we, uh, you know, we, we have uh, trust gaps and we've got to, uh, trust isn't something you get because you win an election. It's something you have to earn. And, and the first thing I did, you may recall, when I had the privilege of getting elected is I asked Keith Ellison to join me because it wasn't about Keith or Tom. This was about uh, making sure the Democratic Party is together. And uh, that's been my North Star every day. How do we lead with our values? How do we get back to our basics? We, we stopped organizing on a regular basis. You know, we, we were good at mobilizing, that, that sprint to the finish line. But we, we stopped building those um, long-term relationships with, with voters. And our renewed commitment to organizing, our, uh, our, our new motto is every zip code counts. Our new mission statement is we're here to elect Democrats up and down the ticket from the school board to the Senate. That's why I was campaigning over the weekend with House of Delegates candidates in 
uh, Virginia because uh, the best way to flip the House of Representatives in Washington is to flip more state legislatures so that uh, we don't get hammered in, uh, in redistricting. And, and so I know we have more work to do. Uh, and uh, that is my North Star every day, leading with our values, making sure that everyone feels like the Democratic Party uh, reflects their values and is every single day ensuring that people get a fair shake and, and making sure that the 2020 election cycle is fair for everybody. Yeah. Uh, we fell short on that in 2016. I wasn't here uh, during that period, but I own the consequences of that. Yeah, and you're doing I a very good job that. of that, Tom. And, and if, I, if, if, if I may, just one more uncomfortable conversation, and then we can talk about the wonders of, of all the, the Democratic sure. candidates out there. Um, but we haven't talked in a week or three. And uh, a week or so ago, uh, the DNC expelled a couple of, uh, shall we say, Bernie favoring members and replace them with, shall we say, Hillary favoring members for lack of, you know, shorthand. And one of those guys who got kicked out was James Zogby. Uh, this has generated, I think, more uh, commentary in, in, the, in the fora that I frequent than a lot of things. What, what was this all about? Jim Zogby, it's, it's interesting. Jim Zogby was an at-large member of the DNC, and Jim Zogby is still an at-large member of the DNC. Tom, I reappointed him. Uh, and when you look at the new uh, list of uh, at-large delegates, uh, the, the DNC chair, uh, when he or she first comes in, has an opportunity to appoint 75 uh, at-large members of the DNC. The way it used to be done was we had, um, it was a closed process. The chair would go into his or her room, come out with a list of uh, people, here you are, uh, accept it. What I did this time was I actually put out a call for people who were interested in doing it. I asked for suggestions. We created a process so that people could offer recommendations. And we got hundreds of folks who expressed interest. I frankly would have been a lot more concerned, Tom, if nobody was interested. Yeah. So we had a supply and demand issue. Uh, Jim is still on the DNC as an at-large member. And what's, what's remarkable and what I'm very proud of is we have the most diverse slate of candidates ever. We doubled the number of millennials. We've, we've, uh, we've dramatically expanded the number of Native Americans so that for the first time we can have a Native American council, which has not existed on the DNC. We have the largest union representation that we've had in decades because we were actually losing union representation, and I didn't understand that. We've got to have our uh, labor unions backs. And so uh, we appointed uh, a remarkable slate. Now, when you get 300 people interested in 75 slots or however many people we had, obviously uh, there's going to be more people disappointed than not. Right. And uh, that's a consequence of opening up the process. I'm glad we opened up the process. It gave us enviable uh, dilemmas. We have a dreamer on the DNC, and, and she just graduated from college, first in her family to do that. She'd love to have that bright future. She has a bright future, but we've got to fight for her. And uh, I thought it was really important to have somebody like Ellie on, on the DNC. And so, um, again, when, when you have a, a supply and demand problem like we had, uh, yes, you're going to disappoint some people. But if you look at the, and, and I never looked at this before I made decisions, but after I heard the concerns, I asked my team to go and look, well, look at the list and ask uh, of the at-large appointees uh, Tom, Tom, who uh, supported Keith, who supported Tom. And guess what? 
It was it was almost this identical. Is the Tom Hartman yeah. program? Tom, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear the music. I don't think you could either. Well, uh, Tom Perez, the chair of the DNC. Tom, thanks so much for being with us. Hey, it was great to be with you, Tom. And uh, thank you, Tom. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Tom Perez on the line with us, the chair of the DNC. And uh, uh, Tom, welcome back to the program. Hey, uh, since I saw you last, I went and voted. Hey, good on you. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, uh, everybody needs to do that. So if your listeners are out there in a jurisdiction that has an election, get out there. And in yeah, well, I was, I was just saying a minute ago. New Jersey. You better get out there. Yeah, I was just saying this on the air a second ago that I had this conversation with you earlier in the hour and we never really got to a good summary of all the things that Democrats across the country should know about in regard to today's election day. Uh, is there election happening near you? Should you be getting out right now? So do you have I'm assuming I hope that you have a list of some sort that you can share with us. Absolutely. No, we've got a, a, a remarkable amount of elections. People tend to focus only on uh uh, Virginia and New Jersey, and there's undeniably important elections there, an opportunity to uh, send a real message that uh, dividers like Donald Trump and Ed Gillespie uh, don't belong in the governor's residence, and uniters like uh, Ralph Northam in Virginia and Phil Murphy in New Jersey uh, should be the people who we should elect. And I'm, I feel uh, cautiously optimistic about both, but uh, people got to get out and vote. Uh, we've also got some really important races elsewhere. I was out campaigning for a woman named Maka Dingra in Washington State. Uh, Senate District 45 is uh, uh, metropolitan Seattle. And the reason this is such an important race, the reason why we invested in it heavily, was because if we win that seat today, we flip the state Senate in Washington State. And we already have the state house, and we have a remarkable governor in Jay Inslee, that's how you move forward as Democrats, uh, by doing things like that. There are key mayoral elections in St. Petersburg, Florida, Syracuse, New York, um, Manchester, New Hampshire. In, in St. Petersburg, uh, uh, Mayor Rick Kreisman, just talked to him yesterday, uh, is uh, in a, uh, a campaign where they're uh, attacking him because he's uh, tried to do well by workers. God forbid. Uh, in Syracuse, New York, we have a remarkable opportunity, and I have been, we've been investing there as well to elect the first Latina, uh, actually the first Latina mayor in the history of New York State, it would be. Whoa. Juanita Perez-Williams, uh, a remarkable figure. Uh, you know, she was told in high school by her counselors, you're not going to amount to anything. And uh, not only did she prove them wrong, going to law school, becoming a, uh, an officer in the military, but she is... Uh, uh, just a leader, plain and simple. Manchester, New Hampshire, we've invested there uh, to help uh, Joyce Craig. Charlotte, North Carolina, big race there today. Vi Lyles is running, and uh, she's been outspent uh, by her opponent, uh, who's getting a lot of uh, uh, money that is um, you know, kind of dark money. But you know what? She's running a great campaign, and I feel very optimistic about her. And uh, those are examples of, of races that we are engaged in. In, in uh, the state of Virginia, uh, there are all the uh, House of Delegates are up today, and uh, there's 100 seats, and I think we can make real progress. Uh, we usually only field, at least in the last uh, four or five cycles, we've only fielded roughly um, uh, 45 
uh, Democrats or so. So to put it differently, Tom, we ceded all the other uh, seats to the Republicans, and that's uh, that's not a way to win elections. Yeah. This year we have 88 candidates in the House of Delegates. I think that's a key weapon at our disposal. I was campaigning for a number of them over the weekend. Uh, we have the opportunity to elect the first two Latinas to the House of Delegates. We have other candidates there that are spectacular, and I think we're going to make progress in uh, taking back the House. We've got to win 17 seats, uh, and uh, I don't know how far we'll get tonight, but I think we're going to get a really, really um, a good turnout there. So yeah. uh, elections matter, and the new DNC uh, is uh, we're focused on helping to elect Democrats up and down the ticket. You know, frankly, the old DNC, Tom, was just focused on the presidency every four years, and uh and that's not who we are now. Uh, we're about helping to elect Democrats everywhere. And that's why we invested in all of these races. We, we invested in special elections earlier this year where we were able to win seats in Oklahoma. We won three state legislative seats in Oklahoma. Uh, we won a seat in uh, Iowa, another state legislative seat, a state Senate seat in New Hampshire that had been Republican since 1984, a uh, state Senate seat in Florida that... Uh, the, the candidate, the Republican, won double digits last year. Uh, seat came open, and we we uh, we won that. The common denominator in all of these good candidates, very clear message of uh, fighting for education, fighting for health care, fighting for opportunity, and boots on the ground, organizing, organizing, organizing. That's the new DNC. Yeah, and and it's not even these kind of top line races. A, a friend of mine, Garland Gilchrist II, is running for city clerk of Detroit. And he's got this huge group of, of volunteers working with him, and he's really out there yep. doing, you know, I mean, just great stuff. And and Garland is a great candidate, and 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 there's and city clerk, right? I mean, there's so many of these people out there. Well, the the outpouring of people willing to step up and run for office has been one of the most inspiring aspects of 2017. Yeah. Uh, I see it everywhere I go, Tom. And these are candidates. Again, you know, the Virginia example I gave you, uh, 88 Democrats want running. Now, we're not going to win 88 seats in Virginia, but what we've done is generate excitement in districts where Democrats, frankly, have been absent. Yeah. And uh, and so we're going to generate turnout. And uh, it's and, and we're going to make we're going to I'm sure we're going to score a lot of a number of upset victories there because we have great candidates. And and. You know, the divisive campaign in Virginia uh, that's been run by Ed Gillespie uh, is, is shameful. He's, he's uh, you know, it's, it's the dog whistle phase of the campaign. He's been uh, you know, using these dark immigrant ads that uh, uh, make it sound like uh, it's the next coming. Uh, they, a number of voter suppression tactics. Uh, yeah. Tom, Tom, Tom I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but we're hitting the top of the hour here. I'm running out of show. <laughs> so, Tom no Perez, problem. head of the I'm DNC. Excited. Tom, Get out and vote. That's there you go. At Tom Perez on Twitter and, of course, uh, Democrats.org. Thank you, Tom. Great talking with you. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us, including you. Get out there, get active, tag. You're it. Get out to vote. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. 
Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.